Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the No More Risk Better, a credit sites podcast. I'm your host, Zach Griffiths, the senior investment grade strategist here at Credit Sites. Joining me today is Roger King, our airlines and aircraft leasing analyst. Roger, thanks for joining us. Ben. Well, thanks for having me on. I've always been interested in airplanes and airlines going back to when I was a kid. I want to be a pilot. And then I was too tall to be a pilot by the time I was like 10. So I ended up becoming a aeronautical engineer, working on some fighter planes. And one thing led to another. And I ended up on a buy side and you know, sell side for the last you know, 40 so years. And the whole time I've been involved with aviation, you know, either as an analyst or a portfolio manager. So well, you're the right guy to talk to. Be, so it's good to be here, probably airplanes from the financing side. Great. Well, we appreciate getting your input with that breadth of experience in the industry, both from a, a finance side and from a logistical side, I suppose. And just so our listeners know, how tall are you, Roger? Well, I'm 6'9", which six is about nine. 200 and you know, some odd centimeters. All right. Now that we have that out of the way, I want to start with the icebreaker question we've been starting all of these discussions with. I'm curious to see if your answer is a little bit different now that we're covering the aircraft lessors versus the airlines. But if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic credit market or sector specific data for 2023, what would it be and why? Well, it would be the, uh, the strength of the U.S. currency. The whole aviation business, airlines, OEMs, leasing, financing, everything is in dollars. And so... Most of your airlines out there, there's like seven or eight airlines. Almost all of them have you know, revenues in local currencies. So there's a big mismatch between your financing and your assets and your like revenues that even the Fed could figure out. So you know, the the currency index from the Fed is running around almost 130, uh, and it was just in the 90s, around 2015. So that's put a lot of stress on the airlines, fundamentally, underneath you know, COVID. For instance, a goal and is having some you know, financial difficulties. Finance is a zoo. They're both in Brazil. And that currency is devalued 3% against the dollar over the last you know, several years. And it, it's led to a recent restructuring of Azura's like lease rates that pays on its leased aircraft. And I'm sure the same thing's going to happen to Goral any day now. So, you know, that's sort of what's out there. 
is the strength of dollar. So the strength of the dollar creates a headwind. It's something that we've been experiencing for a while now. I'd say certainly since COVID, you've had the Fed tightening more rapidly than most, if not every major central bank. We think that probably changes a little bit. And so we're not looking for the dollar to strengthen more, Roger. I hope that is at least somewhat helpful. But as far as a big correction in the dollar, that's that's not something we're calling for. So when you well, think about well, like it's always good you know, talking to you because you always bring me good news. On our airline podcast, it was about the potential for a recession, and now you're telling me the dollar might not go up any higher. We've got a pretty positive disposition, and I'm glad our views fit in nicely with what you need to see for your sectors, Roger. That's always nice when we can make that work for you. So when thinking about aircraft leasing, I know you kind of discussed the dynamics with the dollar and challenges that poses. What is your sector recommendation for aircraft leasing in 2023 and kind of run us through your rationale there? All right. I've been positive, you know, for a long time in aircraft leasing. It has more tailwinds than headwinds. And really, when you think about it, there's, you know, there's been a pretty strong rebound in global traffic since COVID hit. And even though airline revenues went to zero in April of 2020, and a few of the airlines um, went bankrupt and disappeared, the industry was strong enough to, to rework all the leases. And they kept a lot of the airlines in business rather than like repossessing planes. Uh, it was a little bit altruistic too, because they couldn't have placed them anywhere else. But the point is that it came through without any major difficulties in terms of its income statement and balance sheets. And the industry right now is in a very liquid mode. So the increase in traffic, of course, is going to be, you know, a function of global EP. So the, I guess recession comes in a, as a tangential issue there. But all airlines are trying to pick up more planes or take planes out of your storage. So number one, there is a demand to put seats in the air. Issue number two is new aircraft demand on top of that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Number one is the long-term trends of cheaper operating costs. The 787 is 30% cheaper operate than the 767 replaced. And the Maxes and Neos are about 15 to 16% cheaper operate than the 737 NGs and plain old A320s. And the secondary issue there is ESG, particularly the E side, because these planes also are 50, issue 15% less in CO2. ESG is, is going to be a long-term issue for the aircraft leasing and airlines because basically all, it's, it's a company that has a plane in the air that emits carbon. And the ability to substitute anything else for that is, in my mind, zero. Hydrogen has less energy density, whether compressed or liquid, and requires much heavier containment vessels and a whole new global you know, infrastructure, electric, the battery doesn't get any lighter. 
And right now, all the electric planes that people are talking about only hold about, you know, three or four people. So they'll just be for you know, elites flying over you as you drive to the airport. So in terms of global capacity, hydrogen and electric are just the greenwashing. And then there's sustainable fuel, which is just taking the carbon that's been sequestered in plants and edible grains and substituting it for carbon that's been sequestered for 400 million years. I mean, sustainable fuel still emits the same amount of CO2. It's, again, it's greenwashing. So the first step that any airline can take to cut its, its carbon footprint is to get new technology aircraft. And the demand for these aircraft is well above like replacement demand for a fleet in general. On one hand, and on the other hand, the OEMs can't make them fast enough. So there's, that's led to a spillover into increased demand for like, like, like legacy technology aircraft and aircraft coming out of storage. And we have a report in the archives about legacy aircraft values and storage levels compared to a couple of years ago. Um, that is also leading to increased interest in private equity to get back into this business and, you know, buy up used aircraft as an investment vehicle because the prices are still pretty cheap. And that's also allowed all the big lessers to have a heavy amount of aircraft sales, which adds to their liquidity. And the third pillar really is liquidity, providing liquidity for the airline industry. Said before, there's about 700 or so airlines, almost like none of them are investment grade. And most of them would probably be a triple C. So, I mean, if the rating agencies have American Airlines as triple C, the rest of the world is probably quadruple or quintuple C. So they can't borrow money to buy aircraft. And so most airlines look to leasing. Well, obviously it's more expensive to lease than own, but it's a necessity. And the lesser sector of aircraft finance is about 53% right now. And it's growing on new planes. It's at least, you know, 60%. I think that'll go up, not just in providing aircraft out of their own portfolios, but doing you know, sale specs for airlines. For instance, United has an extremely heavy CapEx you know, schedule this year. I think it's as much as $8 billion. So they'll be doing a lot of EETCs and they're talking to lessors about doing leasing, which they would probably not have you know, normally done. So there's a lot of positives going on that drive the position of aircraft lessors in this industry. So where does that leave us? What's your recommendation on the sector, Roger? Sounds like you're pretty positive. So I'd have yeah, to. Yeah, I am. Uh, there's actually a couple of other interesting things that are really on the balance sheet. You know, if you look at the balance sheets, about like 90% of the assets are aircraft or, or deposits for aircraft, things like that. And the market values of the equities trade at discounts to the book value, which I think is pretty amazing. The aircraft are on the books at their metal value as they come out of the factories and they depreciate over, you know, 25 years on straight line. 
these Russians all have their fleets out on leases that are typically average about six or seven years. So what's the net present value of those leases? That's not on the balance sheet. And then all the bigger ones have pretty large order books of planes that were ordered years ago, which are now in big demand at much higher values. So there's a, you know, a hidden capital gain in their order books. Plus on top of that, net present value of leases that are already committed on those aircraft. So there's a lot of value in, I think, the aircraft leasing business that you just don't see in the case and cues. I think that's important for investors to consider when thinking about the risk reward of, of getting involved in the sector. And so I'd have to imagine that you're an outperform on the sector. Is that correct, Roger, or is yeah, the there sector, a little bit uh, more nuanced? The sector's kind of bifurcated a bit. There's, I follow, now follow Air, AirCap, Airways and Avalon, and Karen Moon, our Singapore office, follows USC Aviation, SNBC Aviation, and CDB Aviation. Basically, she follows the leasing companies that are owned and supported by the Asian banks. And they all take on the ratings of their parent companies, which are typically around A minus. The ones that I follow are more independent, and they are all rated in a triple B, plus or minus a little bit here and there. So it's all the same planes, all the same fleets, just a different, you know, rating based on carriage. And the spreads are still wide to the, you know, triple B index. I have a market perform on air lease because it's the tightest and a outperform on Air cap because it's become the industry a bellwether credit, the most bonds, the most par, and the widest maturity spectrum. And I'll perform on Avalon because it's trading much wider because it's still owned by, you know, the remnants of the HA group. So we can talk about that in a minute. So those are my direct wrecks, but basically I'm buying everything. We also have a buying SNBC aviation and, and CDB and a multiple form on BOC, if I remember right. So that's kind of where we are. Now, the industry started out many years ago, uh, buying up old planes and leasing them and finding novel things for them. So it was a cottage industry. And then along comes Stephen Goodvar-Hazy, who started placing huge orders at Airbus and Boeing without having any customers. You know, on spec and funding them with essentially a triple A unsecured notes. GE Capital did the same thing. And those two grew to about over a thousand planes each. Everybody else was probably number three was about 250. And so that sort of opened up the to its full value of, of being able to allow a lot of airlines to fool around without having to raise a lot of capital. And they really rode that. And, you know, Vahinizi is still like the chairman of Aurelius, and it's always good to listen to his commentary on the calls. He really knows what's going on. So right now, after his purchase of 
GE Capital's aviation group, GCAS, CAP has about 1,600 planes that it owns. And, it's, and tied for number two is Avalon and SMBC in the high 500s. And then you get on 417 and a bunch of others following down from there. So the big kahuna is AirCap. They have about 33 billion of bonds outstanding over 25 issues. And they got, and they have maturities out to like 30 years or at least over 20 years. So they have a full spectrum for, for, for all investors. They're a little bit, there's so many bonds in the sector that they're a little bit, they sort of are sloshy in a bit. I expect that the spread differential to at least, which is narrowed considerably over the, since the pandemic started, probably get right on top of each other any day now and maybe even go, you know, through Airlease. Airlease is an interesting company. It's the only true growth company because its order book is bigger than its fleet. Yeah, or I should say it was up until just recently, and now it's about the same. So it's constantly growing, and so it's constantly needing a lot of capital to maintain the, the growth on its asset base. And Avalon is in the middle. They, since Air Lease has got all the growth in it, it's got one of the, one of the youngest fleets. And on the flip side, AirCap, after buying GCAS, is one of the older fleets, but and also one of the most diverse fleets. All kinds of points for any customer. White bodies, narrow bodies, freighters, regionals. They also have a big engine leasing business, which is a very interesting subsector that's very powerful and complementary. And then they have a non-complementary helicopter business that they picked up from GCAS that I think will probably be an asset sale coming up. So that's kind of the, that's sort of like the lay of the land of the three big guys on my side of the uh, world. Now, Avalon trades very wide because it was owned by H&A Group in China. Then to kind of like mitigate the, the H and, and H&A has been in financial difficulties for several years. And, uh, after a rather huge, you know, growth of buying the basses all over the world, the CEO just happened to fall off a cliff and uh, kind of like Russia-like. And uh, the government has put it into a receivership. So it's now in a liquidating trust. And it owns really in the high 40s or, or low 40s percent of a company, of a company called uh, Bohai, B-O-H-A-I, in China a publicly traded leasing company that is the, you know, indirect owner of 70% of Avalon and the other 30% is, is owned by Oryx, you know, the huge you know, financial firm in Japan. And they, a shareholder agreement where everything has to be 50-50. So it's ring-fenced a little bit from the issues with H&A. Now, there's a trigger event coming up next year. You know, Bohai issued some pick notes that, that are now recently with two billion dollars, the, the six and a half to twenty-four, and they come due in September next year. There'll be over two billion dollars by that time, and that's at the corporate entity that actually owns the seventy percent. 
And then Ori owns, you know, that anything is called, you know, a global aircraft. So the only asset of the, of global is the equity in Avalon. And the only liability is the pick bonds. So they're going to have to resolve that next year sometime. And they can resolve it with a sale of, of Adelon completely. They could find some way to refinance the bonds themselves. But I'm betting this is probably going to be an asset sale of Avalon. There's been a lot of talk about creations. GCAS, of course, was bought by Aircap. Glasshawk was bought by SN, SNBC to make it tied for number two with Avalon. And now just recently, Macquarie bought Autorafco and financed the purchase in part with a new issue of bonds, the eight and three eighths of, um, of 28. They're double B rated and they came at about 479, which is well wide to where these, these other guys trade. So the five-year Adelon kind of trades around uh, just a little over 300, right around 300. And both uh, air cap and air lease are around 180 or so, plus or minus. So it's a pretty wide print. But it just shows that uh, there is a lot of ability out there amongst the equity players to make some big plays. The total purchase price was about $2.2 billion. And a lot of the guys that entered the business over the last few years and financed their acquisitions with bank debt are hurting now with the floating rate issue. And so I'm sure there'll be some more consolidation coming up. Awesome. That's extremely helpful, kind of mapping out your coverage space and how you're thinking about things from a value perspective and getting into a little bit more detail on the specific names and potential catalysts in the year ahead. So is there anything we haven't covered here, Roger, as far as your recommendations, what you're thinking about your coverage space and for the sector as a whole that you want to highlight? Or if not, what do you see as kind of the key risks facing the sector right now? I know that when we talked airlines specifically, it was kind of, is there a recession and what does that do to demand? How are you thinking about that? And how is that nuanced for the aircraft leasing side of the airlines business? Well, first I'd like to say, there's one thing I didn't mention before, and that's that commercial aircraft are a very unique asset. It isn't like a car or a locomotive or a truck or something like that. The, the, the actual equipment has to meet certain safety and maintenance you know, standards set by, by the EU and the, US, and the U.S. and China. The people who fly the planes have to be certified in, in certain ways. It's, so it's sort of a protected asset in a way. And one of the only things about the industry is that it's very mature. Everybody knows how much it's going to cost to maintain an aircraft going forward, depending on how much it flies, takes off and lands, and things like that. So when you enter into a lease, with an airline, the say a five-year lease, the next five years of maintenance are calculated. And typically the airline prepays that maintenance on a monthly uh, basis as an add-on onto the lease. And then as maintenance is, is incurred, the lessor reimburses the airline. And then at the end of the lease, there was a true up. So it wasn't like getting a car back where somebody put 
you know, water in the gas tank and didn't change the oil and, you know, as you burn holes in the fabric, things like that. It, it, it isn't like that. These things are, are well-maintained and pretty much have excellent value attainability over time. Now, you mentioned recession. That could hit the industry and then back up into the aircraft leasing. But at the same time, there's a growth in the world. More and more people are entering into the ability to fly. So that's driving a lot of the demand that we're seeing. Up until COVID, demand was growing about right on 5% a year for like 12 years or so on a straight line, up at maybe six, maybe four, but you know, pretty much run on 5%. And if it gets back to that, we're going to continue to keep on a pretty you know, strong growth. And that's really basically just the enlargement of the middle class in the world. Awesome. You know, it's kind of interesting thinking about some of these more global trends. And it seems from an aircraft leasing perspective, at least in, in the near term, there's probably some cushion there, just given how big order books are in the backlog of demand for planes and sort of the demand we're seeing now. So it, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold from here. If you had one last message to leave our listeners with, Roger, what would it be? It could be a pick. It could be a pan. It could be a view on the dollar. What, what do you have to leave our listeners with before we let you go? Buy Avalon bonds. Buy Avalon bonds. That, that's it. That's a concise and actionable message to leave you with. Roger King, thank you so much for your time. I always learn a ton on these podcasts, so we really appreciate you joining us today. Anytime. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. It's not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is credit sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by credit sites or its affiliates.